Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another edition of the Skating Penguin Network Mailbag. I am Garrett Bahanna. Alongside me are my two uh, tolerable, if not uninspiring, co-hosts, Snail, Robbie Noggle. We're back to answer more of your questions that you submitted to us earlier in the week at the Skating Penguin Network Twitter account. And uh, well, without further ado, let's dive right into it. We have 10 questions that rounds out the mailbag this week. Question number one goes to Robbie. Question one comes from Brian, our loyal question asker extraordinaire. Does anyone else here think it's absolutely ridiculous that originally the NHL would not allow Marc-Andre Fleury to wear his custom-designed mask that honored his wife? Brian says that was a complete joke. Robbie, uh, what are your thoughts on the whole mask gate saga between Marc-Andre Fleury and and the NHL? I mean, of course it's ridiculous, but it's the most NHL thing imaginable. I mean, is it not? I mean, this goes back to uh, last season and the fallout from uh, the Pride jerseys and all the inane, stupid roles they put on the books this year. I mean, we're talking about this was a Native American heritage night. He wasn't even wearing this for the actual hockey game. He was wearing this in warmups. It was designed by an indigenous artist and it was going to be auctioned off for charity and the nhl 
in typical NHL fashion, took a gun, pointed it directly at its groin area, and just started popping. It's the most NHL. I almost, I mean, I did believe it when I read it, but I, it's one of those things that, like, it's believable, but, like, you just, like, how did this happen again? It is the most NHL response to a non controversy that I've ever seen. Again, this is a league that allowed a franchise to bury sexual assault allegations, never penalize them anything worthwhile, and reward them with the number one overall pick in the NHL draft. And that's just like the bare minimum of what all we're talking about here. It's stupid. It is just the most NHL response to a non-issue imaginable. And at the end of the day, Flurry and the Wild called the bluff and the NHL, as it always does, whimpered away with his tail between its legs and did absolutely nothing. There is like, the same thing that happened to Travis Dermott when he put the rainbow tape on his sticker this year. Nothing happened because at the end of the day, the people that run the NHL are complete cowards. They always have been cowards. And until something changes at the top, it will remain an old boys club in the worst way possible. Uh, thankfully, Flurry just said, screw it, wore the mask anyway, and and nobody was hurt. He wore it for and he wore it for warm-ups, auctioned it off, and the last I checked, it was the highest price item um, uh, that was available. And uh, it was it's a beautiful mask if you saw it or not. It is a beautiful mask. And honestly, if you wouldn't have told me it was for Native American heritage, I wouldn't even have known. I really it was it wasn't like it was a a copy of like a Native American headdress or something like that. But I, I mean, it's just in my it's just the most NHL response uh, to the most non-issue possible non-issue topic that possibly come up, and it's just another example of them just shooting themselves in the foot because they have nothing better to do. Oh, question number two, again from Brian here. Um, thoughts on Alexander Ovechkin's comments about um, him and Sid's rivalry? Um, and I believe this is in reference to a piece by Rob Rossi in The Athletic, basically interviewing both of those about their rivalry throughout their careers. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I I liked what Ovi said, and uh, – he essentially said, "What if people that aren't familiar with it, I'm sure you are by now, because it kind of made some waves. Ovi essentially said that him and Sid saved the NHL. And I have to agree. Um, I agree with his comments. And, I mean, look at where the NHL was at when they came into the league. They were coming out of a lockout, for Christ's sake. Uh, they not only were... They came out of a lockout where, I, I guess, like, the NHL wasn't necessarily in, like... I, the NHL was going to continue whether Ovi and Sid came into the league. It's not like they were about to fold. But, I mean, they came. It couldn't have been two better people coming into the league. They came in with high expectations, and they delivered. And they were just them being in the same conference, same division, like that. I mean, you couldn't have drawn it up any better. They went head-to-head -head multiple times a year, and their playoff battles... And we're looking at this, I mean, 
what is this 18 years later or whatever and they're still Ovi's chasing Wayne Gretzky's goal record Sidney Crosby is a top five player in NHL history and he's still going and he's at it going at clip he's at a historic rate right now for a 36 year old um influencing and both of them influencing and just capturing the hearts and minds of 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 not just hockey fans young and old but sports fans as well um yeah, it, there's like no if ands or but uh, no if ands or buts about Ovi's statement saving, uh, saving the league. I think that they put millions, if not billions, of dollars in in Batman and 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 the old boys club uh, club's pockets. Um, Mario Lemieux benefited greatly from Sidney Crosby. I mean, it's just a it was an overall win, and just the way that the cards fell with them being drafted one in uh, Washington and in Pittsburgh, it was. You couldn't have drawn it up any better. So uh, just to put a sweet little bow on it, I agree wholeheartedly with Ovi. And I love the fact that he has the stones to come out and say something like that because sometimes the NHL can be so reserved. These players can can really just be robots out there. They don't want to, especially this younger generation, they don't want to make any waves. They don't want to draw any unnecessary attention to themselves. Ovi's never really been that guy going back to when he had the yellow laces and the tinted visor, putting up 65 goals a year. I just, I just love it. I love, I love when these older players come out and they're not afraid to just be themselves. And, and I agree. I, I, I'd be curious. Do, did either of you have any issue or qualms with what Ovi said, or, or do you guys wholeheartedly agree as I do? I absolutely, absolutely loved it. I, I, to your, I, I basically, I, I don't want to repeat everything that Snail just said, but Ovi has never been afraid to really speak his mind on a lot of issues uh, that pertain to the league. And the fact that he basically came out and said, basically, yeah, uh, it's me and Sid. We were responsible for saving this entire league. Like like Snail said, they weren't in danger of really going under, but they came in at just the perfect time coming out of that lockout, giving the league the shot in the arm that it needed publicity-wise. And like Snail also said, they delivered. It's not like they came into the league and fizzled out as high prospects that never amounted to anything. Their careers have been intertwined because they've been so close geographically and divisionally speaking, statistically speaking, uh, the playoff battles that Snell mentioned. I absolutely love it. Sid, out of the two, Sid is obviously more reserved. I don't think he's going to give that boisterous soundbite that a lot of people are chasing, but I have reason to believe that Ovechkin just doesn't care. Like He'll say what comes to his mind. And for him to say it, yeah, I mean, I know Pittsburgh Penguins fans aren't massive fans. A lot of them aren't massive fans of the Washington Capitals or Alex Ovechkin. But I've said multiple times on this podcast, Ovechkin will go down as the greatest goal scorer in league history. The perfect rivalry and rival, personal rival to Sidney Crosby, uh, just to put a bow on it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely loved what Ovechkin said. And I completely agree with him. Totally. Uh uh, kudos to Ovi, and I, I kind of like, I kind of like what you where you're going with that, Garrett. That's like, yeah, we don't really like in Pittsburgh like Ovi, but this is like a this is like a bigger than like the rivalry thing. This is like a hockey thing, and it's true. I mean, like Ovi, Ovi brings a lot to uh, uh, the the, so the rivalry between him and Sid, and it brings uh, just overall to hockey in general. It's um, uh, kudos to him, and I hope we get a little bit more of that attitude and speaking speak, players speaking their mind a bit, not afraid to take shots at at the league and whatnot. 
Uh, moving on here to question number three from our pal Brian. He asks, what would you choose if you could have a, uh, a non-conventional animal as a pet? Non-conventional animal. Well, I guess like that would classify anything that's not like a goldfish, dog, cat sort of thing. Uh, you know, I thought about this question a lot heading into this mailbag, and I still don't have an answer. Uh, Gary, do you even have a do you have a dog or a cat? Do you have any pets? Yeah, I have a, a dog and a cat. Okay. Uh, for the like, my my parents, my family's been dog like dog people for my entire life and they rescued a stray cat like uh, last year. So a dog and a cat right now, non-conventional animal. Uh, I will say, I will say which one lays eggs. Is it a rooster that lays eggs? A hen lays eggs. A, a hen lays eggs. Yeah. Just for the, uh, just for the convenience of having eggs. I think I will say hen. Um, cow maybe for the milk but i mean those are all like basically farm animals so, so i don't basically know you want to have a farm i know i do not want to have a farm oh, I, okay i don't want to manage that land oh, at all. you just want you just want the the easy access to the, to yes. the milk and the yeah, okay precisely uh so i will say hen slash cow um if either of you guys have non-conventional pets that come to your mind you're feel free to chime in i want a lion See you that 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 checks out because you or exude you Mike Tyson or something like you why exude that. Oh, that's a tiger. That's a tiger. Oh, we had a tiger. I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to have like a sick bird of prey, like an owl or a uh, a, a falcon of some sort, like a bald would... eagle, just yeah. like the post up on like the the peak of your house roof. Yeah. No, nah, bald eagle is too polarizing. That's a signal of like patriotism in America. It's not what I want. I want something stealthy. I want something equally as lethal though maybe something like a yeah like a like a peregrine falcon or or a, a barn owl maybe that just sits on my shoulder as you record the podcast yeah uh, that'd be so what a present <laughs> i would have <laughs> uh alrighty, uh, question four going back to robbie here this question comes from brian robbie what's the best chirp you've ever heard so like 95 percent of chirps you could not say without getting like an explicit tag put on our podcast. <laughs> yes. So I'll give you two. Wait, One, wait, quickly. Is this chirps that we've heard like that have been chirped at us or her chirps we've heard in regards to like hockey? Like I'm going to say in regards to hockey. In regards guess, to hockey. Yeah. Yeah. So one is between Patrick Waugh and Jeremy Roenick. This was back in the late nineties. Roenick was basically jawing at um, Waugh through the media and Waugh's basic response was, I can't hear him. I got my Stanley Cup rings clogging my ears. Just a classic. I mean, Ronick never won a cup. There's another one that I can't really say anything involved with it. You have to look it up on YouTube. It's from the 91 Stanley Cup Finals. It's Brian Trottier and Kevin Stevens on the bench. The North Stars' Brian Bellows skates by. It's only a 30-second clip, and they just say stuff that, you could not say in polite society today that would not get you suspended or kicked off uh, a hockey team. If you want to look it up, you can look it up because you should, if you're a Penguins fan, you should be at least familiar with the lore of this clip, but it's just type in like um, Brian Trottier 
Brian Bellows, Stanley Cup, or Chirp or something like that. And it's only 30 seconds. If You might want to wear headphones, but it's uh, just, yeah, it's a pretty brutal 30 seconds. Um, uh, but that I would, if, so if you're a Penguins fan listening to this and are familiar with it, you know what I mean? And if you're not go check it out because it's a pretty devastating, uh, pretty devastating about 30 seconds of chirping, um, from those guys. If anybody else has anything, you can add it in here as well. Um, uh, there was one that it's. I don't know. I was dying laughing when I heard the story, but uh, Eric Fair, when he was on the Penguins, he lined up against Brad Marchand, and Brad Marchand is a, you know, big personality and a pest, but Fair just kind of, like, leans into him, and he just asks, how are the hot dogs smelling tonight? And I guess it just got Brad Marchand so bad because he's got the huge nose or whatever, the huge schnoz, and I think Brad Marchand said that's the best chirp he's ever received or something like that was from former penguin eric fair it's actually pretty good i mean i know that everybody focuses on like the swearing and the vulgarness but when you can just deliver like a subtly devastating uh, chirp that uh, that just kind of takes a knock on somebody's personality or a physical feature like that without like insulting them to their core like those are probably the more devastating you know kind of like the schoolyard chirps that like little kids toss around that are super devastating but there's nothing inherently bad about what they said it's more of a observation than than um uh than anything but yeah that's actually a pretty good one i don't know if i heard that one for me that's actually a pretty solid uh pretty solid one there question number five again for brian brian making a big comeback this week after taking after slacking there uh that one week so uh, he's making up some lost time here, but do you guys like either of the winter classic jerseys? Not really. Um, I think that the Kraken one is the sharper of the two. I just don't understand how this wasn't a, uh, how this wasn't an opportunity for the Kraken to pull out the old candy cane, uh, metropolitan jerseys. Um, it, you know, the winter classic, I feel like they always go with a vintage theme, uh, you know, back on the, like, pond hockey, like, it's just, it's the winter classic, like, I don't know, it's just always, they always go old school, and how are you not going to go back to those, like, Christmas, Christmassy, like, candy cane jerseys that they had back in 1919, or whatever it was, and then for Vegas, theirs is, like, extremely boring, I saw that one, and I was like, for Vegas, this is a super lame design and, and color scheme, and it's, I get, I definitely get the vintage vibe from that one, but, um, definitely not wowed. Like I'll, like I said, uh, Seattle has the sharper of the two. Very underwhelming to me. But uh, I don't know. Just like the Seattle Kraken season, very underwhelming. So I'll, I'm curious what you guys have to say about the uh, the Winter Classic jerseys. The thing I will say about it is I, I love that they market the Winter Classic about like they use buzzwords like heritage and history. And they pick these two teams who are the most two recent teams that have come into the league. So, I mean, for the Golden Knights, they they do have a Stanley Cup in their in their what is it seven year history now, uh, six or seven year history. And the Kraken made the postseason last year. Uh, like from a design standpoint, as I switch over to this tab, looking at them, there to Snail's point, they kind of have that metropolitan theme. But I know what he's saying in terms of like 
maybe the color scheme, candy cane color scheme. It, it's it's kind of there, but they don't pull the trigger and go all the way with it. Vegas is I like the color scheme. I I, I there's something about that that creamy sort of color. I guess if that's a way to describe it, may not be the most appealing way to describe it, but. I like the V for Vegas. I like how that is designed. Uh, I, I like the gold accents. I like both of these jerseys. I would never buy either of them, but for what it is, the Winter Classic, I, I could vibe with either of them. Robbie, any input? I, I, I definitely, if I had to pick one to, to wear, I would definitely prefer the Seattle one. I just think it's uh, a nicer uniform. Uh, the Vegas one, it just it just not not does not do it for me the v I, it's been a joke online but the top of the v on each side makes it look like it's giving you the middle finger the two points that stick out it kind of looks like it's whipping you <laughs> it up it does um it just yeah the vegas one did not do it for me the seattle one i think i know what they were trying to do but like you said going old 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 school and honoring the heritage of the metropolitans was probably um could have been a home run and and unfortunately they didn't do it but um again when you have two teams that have been in the league for like a collective eight years uh, you don't i mean you don't have much to choose from but um the vegas one it seemed like they tried again seattle at least had a heritage concept to work off of in the metros but vegas was really um running on nothing so i could see why seattle's worked out a little bit better yeah, I mean, not the worst, not bad, but uh, just I thought a huge missed opportunity for Seattle there. But yeah, they kind of, I mean, they got the stripes going, whatever. Hopefully it's just not a dud of a game because I think I'm going to that game. So. Oh, sweet. I also hope that, God, Seattle's just so soft, man. Like, it's going to, like, I hope that there's tailgating. Like, I want to go get get drinks at, you know, I, wanted, I want that tailgating experience where you're crushing rain ears at 11 a.m. And, and got the grill going in, a, in, a, in the parking lot, but... I don't know. Seattle disappoints me sometimes. Anyways, you got a bunch of tech hungry tree huggers over there. Tech hungry. I don't even know if tree huggers necessarily fits the mold of Seattle anymore. To be totally honest, it's really definitely it's totally it's all about tech out here for sure. Though tech, big money. Uh, I could create my own podcast just ripping on my own hometown. <laughs> um, question number six from our pal from across the pond. I think Kim Larson. Kim asks, if you could choose the color for the home jersey of a new NHL team, what color would you go with? The first color that came to mind was purple. Uh, I absolutely love the Los Angeles Kings throwbacks where purple is the primary color and they have, think of yellow and white accents. Think of the color palette. Like the the teams, you see blues, you see grays, you see orange, you know, you see red. All of these major primary colors are put to use in just about every jersey besides purple. Purple is that one color, and I think it would pop on the ice. I, I think it would – I would go with a darker shade of purple, um, almost like the Baltimore Ravens, for those who are familiar with the NFL. Um, I, I just – when I think of the colors around the NHL, I, you you do, just don't have purple. The Kings from time to time will wear those like 60s throwbacks. But if they went those, like if they went primary, if those were their primary uniforms, I'd become a secondary Kings fan just for those uniforms alone. Uh, 
So purple would be my color. If you if we want a round table, if anyone else has any sort of input, uh, purple was my color, but if anyone else has anything they want to add, go ahead. Uh, I, I actually kind of agree with you, like purple. I was thinking, when I saw this question, I was thinking about uh, some of the unique, I'm, I'm a big uh, lacrosse fan, box lacrosse fan, and uh, in the NLL, they have some unique colorways. And when you said purple, I thought of the uh, Halifax Thunderbirds, which I, th that's one of my favorite teams, and I love their color scheme. It's like the, it's purple with a little bit of, little bit of orange in there, and then, and then maybe like another shade of purple, but um, it's very I don't know. Like I think of like very arena sport esque kind of colors, like very like high vis and and I think like I think that would look good in hockey too. Maybe something like high vis. What about like a, I know the Islanders kind of incorporate and and I guess the Oilers have orange. I was gonna say what about like some high vis like some orange or some like construction yellow <laughs> thrown in with something. Or what about this? I, you know I was surprised. Se Seattle. Uh, the Mariners and the Seahawks, to an extent, more more so the Seahawks than than, than the Mariners. Uh, I've noticed that parts of their uniforms have that like lime green or green aspect to it. Snails like not nah, cut it out, but no, like, I'm gonna I'm hear me out. Go with like lime green as the primary. Like you want to talk about popping colors? Boom! I was watching the Seattle Seahawks over Thanksgiving. They were I think they were playing uh, on that Thursday the Thursday primetime game and they were wearing those like really vibrant green uniforms. I was like, you know what? I call it the Xbox green. Uniforms. Yeah, oh, that's perfect. That is, that's a perfect way to call it. Uh, so yes, uh, Xbox green purple. Also first. the color of the Seattle Sounders, the Seattle Sounders yes. jerseys are that Xbox green. The Dallas stars have like, I think in the past they've worn like an, like a, that same color green too, I think as like a alternate, uh, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, yeah, high, what about, yeah, the whole high-vis thing. Like, I think that that construction, uh, construction gear, Monster Energy, Xbox Green, like, why not? Take me back. Take me back. Uh, with that, we will go to question seven, also from Kim Larson, as we switch over to Robbie here. Robbie, how would you rate Eric Carlson's first month plus on a scale of one to ten? where 10 is the absolute best. I will give him an eight. I think that, yeah, slow start adjusting to a new system, but he's more than made up for that. He's been just about everything is advertised. What could make him better? Anything to make the power play better at any point, anything just uh, in general. It do, I can't dog him too much for the defense because we knew he wasn't coming as, a shutdown defenseman. We knew his defense was not uh, going to be spectacular. I'm grading this specifically on what we were sold and what to expect. And if the power play would tick up, then he'd probably be at a nine and a half, ten. But the power play right now just is so bad, and he's a quarterback on it. Um, five on five offensively, he's been spectacular. Um, especially this last month, he's really taken off and really kind of. Uh, taken over the role that we all expected him to play, but the power play is, is still just so bad. And, and as the quarterback of that, um, he has to take, he has to be dock points uh, for that. So if he can, if we can get the power play back on, uh, on even terms, then uh, we can maybe uh, look back at um, some at the all-star break and re 
regrade this, but for now, I give him an eight out of ten, just because he's mostly what uh, we were sold, and just got to get that power play going. So quickly, Robbie and Garrett, I, I'm I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. I am curious. This isn't necessarily a, a this isn't really a question about the the what grade you'd give him on whatever scale given. But do you feel like okay? So like when they brought Carlson in, they talked about how I think there was like a quote from like Dubis or maybe it was from Sullivan, and they were going to put Carlson in selective like not position maybe positions isn't the best word. But, like, they were going to put him in scenarios t- to best utilize what he's good at. But looking back in Carlson's career, whether when it was he when he was captaining the, the Sens or when he was in, in San Jose, the offense ran through Carlson. He was kind of like a, a, flea fr- a free-flowing entity out there. Kind of just, he was kind of this wandering rover of a defenseman. And it, truly, the offense kind of ran through him. It really involved him. Do you feel like sort of the because the, this is kind of how I feel. I'm curious if you feel the same. If the Penguins kind of have this like Ferrari in a cul-de-sac with with Carlson right now, do you feel like maybe they haven't given him the leash to kind of really utilize his offensive creativity and they've sort of boxed him in, or 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 no? I I don't think I, I see that I see that concern a lot on on Twitter. People saying that. Uh, Sullivan wants him to play a more defensively responsible kind of game, that sort of thing. I don't think that's the case at all. I agree with, I agree with you when, uh, saying that, you know, wherever he's been professionally, the offense has ran through him more often than not, because he had just been the best player on the ice for both teams coming here where you, the roster's already loaded with all-stars Gensel, Crosby, Malkin, Latang. I don't think he needed to shoulder that much of responsibility. Um, I still think, I, I don't think it's accurate to say that Sullivan has limited Carlson in any way. I, I still think Eric Carlson, much to like how Robbie was describing him, is who he thought he was going to be when he came here. Um, offense first defenseman makes you scratch your head every now and again with a couple of defensive lapses. But we had that with Chris Letang for the entirety of his career. Now we're just adding another right-handed defenseman on top of Chris Letang to basically have two Hall of Fame defensemen on the ice for 40 out of 60 minutes. So I don't necessarily agree with the take that he's being boxed in or being forced to play a game that he's not familiar with. But, you know, like you said, Snail, having the offense run through Carlson, I don't think it's necessary uh, in Pittsburgh compared to San Jose or Ottawa because he was by far and away the best player on the ice for both of those franchises. And everyone knows coming into a Pittsburgh Penguins season, as long as Crosby and Malkin are here, you know, that's how the offense is going to be generated. I would be curious, like if things keep going the way they are, they win one, lose one, win one, lose two. I don't know if, you know, sort of delegating some of that responsibility to Carlson would make a difference. I don't know, like if, if Sullivan gives him more responsibility to try and shuffle more of that offense to Carlson, like he was doing in Ottawa and San Jose. I don't know if that would make any difference for the Penguins in terms of on ice results, but I mean, we're almost to Christmas time and they're what 10 and 10, 10, 10 and 0, something like that. I think they're uh, like 500. Yeah. Yeah. So they still really haven't, had a stretch outside of that five game win streak where I thought, yeah, this team's coming together. This team looks really good. There's chemistry there. I, there, it just hasn't been there yet. 
I mean, like you said, it's all we're getting close to Christmas, and it's like I just feel like we haven't had a game, a stretch of games, or even like one game where I was like Carlson put the team on his back that game and did Carlson things, you know, end to end all game. But he was brought in here, and I'm sure there was a talk where it's like, I mean, maybe you guys agree, maybe you don't, but like they were like, look, you don't have to do that here. Like we have uh, several other great players that'll be pulling the same rope. And you don't necessarily have to. And maybe that's why Carlson chose to came here. Maybe he was like, I don't have to be the guy here. But it's still, it's just one of those things. I, I was just curious what you guys maybe thought. Because I feel like, like I said, maybe we haven't really had like a, a game of Carlson dominance that you've seen from him on other teams in the past. Uh, question number eight from Kim Larson again. Um, I know it's in the future, but what uh, 2024 free agent would you like us to bring in? I know some of these free agents will sign contracts. But if you could pick one right now, who would you pick? Well, that is a tough question for me to answer, Kim, because it's early in this season and we're talking about next year. I mean, if the Penguins don't make the playoffs this year, it's very different what kind of free agent I'm looking to bring in compared to if maybe they did make a bit of a, a maybe a run in the playoffs or even just a, for a, a one and done. But looking at the list here, it's, uh, again, nowadays, a lot of these guys aren't going to get to free agency. Um, like Steven Stamkos, Willie Nylander, Sam Reinhart, like even a guy like Jake Gensel, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, you, you, well, may, he's making a case for himself right now. Maybe that's a bad example. A lot of these guys, though, they're going to get locked up by their respective teams um, I would assume that's kind of the way things go now. But just looking at this list, let's say the Penguins make it to the playoffs. Let's say they make a little bit of noise. Maybe they make no, whatever. They're in the playoffs next season. If these guys are available, I would certainly be taking a peek, picking up the phones, calling, uh, Um, you know, what about, uh, I mean, Sam Reinhart, would, he's having a hell of a hell of a season and he's, he's been, uh, he, he was good back in, um, back in Buffalo. He would look good on Gino's wing or on Sid's wing. If, if Rust ended up wanting to slide down, I think that he's a solid right winger and he can really, um, he, he can really do some damage offensively. He's a good top six guy on the right side. Uh, Let's see who else we got. Tyler Bertuzzi. I love Tyler Bertuzzi. I love his gear wear. I love his kind of like, he's a prick, but he just looks so unbothered out there. I feel like the Penguins could maybe use a little bit of a personality like his. Um, I think he's on a one year right now up in Toronto, waiting for the cap to go up a bit so he can get paid. Um, I don't know. I wonder how old he is because that kind of matters. Uh, let's see. He is 28 years old. So I would sign him. I would, I take a look at Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, so yeah, let's see, maybe a Reinhardt, maybe a Bertuzzi. And then, uh, I see that the Penguins have kind of, they got their right side set, but that Brett Pesci is going to be a UFA. Would it be an embarrassment of riches to have a guy like Brett Pesci playing third pair minutes and, uh, Probably killing penalties for you. I'd like Max Domi. Max Domi, same thing as Tyler Bertuzzi. He's up there in Toronto on a one-year kind of prove-it deal. Um, I, he's kind of having a rocky start up there. He's not exactly been consistent. I, I'd take a guy like Max Domi on my team any day. He'd be a great third liner for the Penguins. Um, let me see, just quickly looking down this list. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, you know who I would take too? Uh, great fourth or third liner is Tyler Mott. I don't know if you guys know much about him. Love his game. Love the way he plays. Always kind of wish the Penguins took a chance on him, but seems like every other team in the in the Atlantic has uh, has called for his services. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, maybe that... Oh, is this guy... Let me see quickly here. I think I saw his name. Boko Imama. He's just a tough, tough bastard to play against. He's not going to light the lamp for you, but he's that kind of like gritty fourth liner I take on my team. And uh, he could keep the Tom Wilsons off, um, keep the Tom Wilsons and the Tanners, you know, is at bay. So I don't know. Maybe some of those guys, uh, if, you, if you guys, do you guys have any uh, any uh, un, uh, pending UFAs that you have circled on your wish list? No pending UFAs, but it would tie in. My response would tie into the next question, which was going to be my question anyway. Uh, we don't even have to read the question. The question comes from Logan Krenke. Uh, one, if you could think of one perfect realistic trade that Kyle Dubas could pull off before the deadline, knowing what the Penguins actually need, what would it be? So I was looking, I think the Athletic just put out their early, early, early 2023-24 uh, big trade board. And I was looking through it. And most of the players on that list were like defensemen or goaltenders. There was one player that caught my eye that I think realistically could work given what the Penguins need. When healthy, we know that they really don't have to touch the bottoms, the top six. Assuming Ricard Raquel can kick it into gear eventually and start scoring some goals. If not, well, then we have an entirely different issue on our hands that we weren't anticipating coming into the season. So we know the two things that have hampered the Penguins this season. The power play is issue number one. The bottom six depth is issue number two. The person that I want, I think Kyle Dubas could bring in will not necessarily fix the power play woes, but will give the Penguins much needed depth down the middle and in the bottom six slash top nine. That player is former Calgary Flames uh, first round selection, Sean Monahan who I believe is on an expiring contract with a cap hit of just uh, $1.985 million. So just under $2 million. I believe he is with the Montreal Canadiens this season. Through 22 games, 6 goals, 7, point, seven assists, 13 points. In 703 career games, Monaghan has scored 224 goals for 492 points. So the offense has definitely been there. However, I will say that the offense has really slowed down in recent seasons. Uh, his last double-digit goal season came in 2020-2021, age 26 with Calgary. He played in 50 games during the 2020-2021 season, 10 goals, 18 assists, 28 points. The following season, 21-22, just eight goals in 65 games. The following season after that, 22-23, six goals, 11 assists, 17 points in just 25 games played. And like I said, so far this season with the Canadians in 22 games, six goals, seven point, seven assists, 13 points. So there's definitely an offensive touch there. Six foot two, 196. So he's, he's a bigger guy. I'm not going to say he's going to throw the body around every time he gets out on the ice, but here's a guy who is not devoid of offense, who you could plug in the bottom six, maybe third line center, fourth line center. Ideally, I think he would be a, a better third liner than a fourth liner, but Given the Penguins' salary cap constraints, a guy who's on a contract under $2 million salary uh, cap hit, like, it's perfect. He has an established record of scoring goals. Looking at some of his more advanced metrics, 
looking at possession stats, he is a career 55.9 Corsi four percentage player, a career 55.3 Fenwick four percentage player, anything above 50%. Again, again, that means that your team is controlling the puck more often than not with that player on the ice. So decent possession player, certainly a player who has built a reputation for putting the puck in the net. Again, I will I will say that the scoring and the points have almost fallen off a cliff in recent seasons, but earlier results in Montreal this year point to Monaghan having something of a resurgence, six, six goals, 13 points in 22 games. Um, I, I would give I would give Montreal a call given the Penguins' lack of real bottom six depth. Uh, and well, with that, we'll go to question number ten as we wrap up this mailbag with Robbie here. Question ten comes from Edward Beckham. Robbie, let's uh, let's let's generalize here. What are some of the biggest rivalries, in your opinion, across the NHL? Uh, the great thing about sports, especially a sport as old as the NHL, is you have rivalries that have been built over decades and decades and decades. Uh, just off the top of my head, you have with the Penguins, you have the Flyers and Capitals. I'd argue that you'd even throw the Rangers on that list um, as well. Uh, Boston, Montreal, a super historic rivalry. Montreal, Toronto, Toronto, Boston, a uh, super historic rivalry as well. Um, Chicago and Detroit uh, was a historical rivalry, and so was Detroit and uh, Colorado, uh, a major rivalry as well. Um, it, it, your newer teams have, I will say, will say, have less rival uh, rivalries, but all your California teams hate each other. Uh, Vegas and San Jose, uh, especially when they were both battling out, they were both very good uh, in the early years of Vegas's franchise. Those were some absolute lightning uh lightning charged uh rivalries especially with like Kane and Reeves how much they absolutely load each other load each other uh the battle of Alberta uh between Calgary and Edmonton is obviously a big one um hoping that Seattle and Vancouver can foster a nice rivalry given they're so close they play in the same division hopefully as those two teams uh, get better and have more consistent success. They can really uh, turn that into a rivalry. Hopefully here in the next couple of years, those two sides find a way to meet in the playoffs. Cause that seems where a lot of these rivalries uh, really come from is uh, when you meet in a playoff series, uh, filling the Rangers is big. The Rangers and devils uh, is another big one. Any of your original six teams are going to generate a lot of great rivalry hype just because they've been around forever but i mean there's so many uh across the league and the longer they go along it seems like the more heated they get so there's definitely no lack of uh rivalries in the nhl dude an underrated one that i was waiting for you to say that you didn't is uh i was watching some old games the other night dude chicago st louis like uh the, like early 2000 like like late 2000s like yeah whatever shy st louis and uh, did you say the battle of florida i did not i've one that it was in my mind originally and then it kind of slipped his eyes naming other ones just a like recent years but now that they got that kachuk down there yeah a... snail would cream his pants over kachuk if he was on the penguins oh god i'd be jersey guy i'd have a jersey if he's on <laughs> 
wasn't i think kachuk uh his dad he he and mario i can't remember if they're friends or uh if they were rivals on the i can't remember i don't know if there's history there like there is with ty domi or not but uh the domi lemieux friendship how i don't even know how how did that even come to be they never is that just like a team canada thing or like are they i don't think they ever played on the same nhl team no no but i have a i have a photo saved in my in my phone it used to be my my background on my phone it's old ty domi with his boiler and he's in penguins he's like in his he's in a locker room and he has a penguins jersey on with like his like Toronto Maple Leafs like pant, blue pants and a blue helmet, but he's got like the yellow Penguins like practice jersey on, and he's clearly just sitting down from like being on the ice for some sort of skate. It's just an awesome photo. I, I wish one of I hope before this the, the Max gets. Uh, I'd like to see Max in, in in Pittsburgh. I think you guys have said that before too. It's yeah. it's been long speculated. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd take any Kachuk on the on the Penguins too, for Christ's sakes. Like <laughs> this, because I'd take Walt right now on the fourth line. Over Jeff Carter, your favorite? Oh God, yeah. I'd take Robbie on the fourth line. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Robbie getting the getting the stamp of approval from the grinder of our squad. That's what we like to see. Yeah. As we uh well that that'll do it. That'll wrap up this edition of the Skating Penguin Network mailbag for Snail. For Robbie Noggle, I have been Gareth Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of The Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again very soon.